But right now, let's take a few moments and let's talk about turning setbacks into comebacks, turning setbacks into success, something we all want and something we all face. Every person in this room today has faced failure at least once in your life. And one of the problems that I want to address is that usually when we have a failure, when we have a major tragedy or setback, we also not only have a broken dream, but we get broken desires. We just lose heart. Something kind of goes out of us. The helium in our balloon gets released. And in that process of trying to do something to fulfill your dream, sometimes we fall short and we not only lose sight of the goal where we were headed, but we just don't seem to have the heart to get back up. That's why Mark Twain said, if a cat sits on a hot stove, he won't sit on a hot stove again. In fact, that cat won't sit on a coal stove either. In fact, that cat won't sit on any stove. He doesn't like stoves, period. Why? Because of a bad experience. So some of you have come into this room and maybe this morning your attitude is you had a bad experience with a man, so all men are bad. I'll never trust another man. Or you could put a woman in the same place. You're going to make a tragic mistake because now you're going just the way the enemy wants you to go. And you're going to abandon what you had for a goal, for your life, for your future. And you're not going to get there because you've lost heart and you've made a wrong assessment. So now your tendency is to withdraw, come back, lower your expectation, lose heart, and say, I'm not going to reach that dream. I'm not even going to try. Mary Lou Retton, who was a gold medal winner in the 1984 Olympics in the field of gymnastics, said, quote, achieving that goal was a great feeling, but to get there, I had to get through all of the failures. You realize that's why they cry when they get a gold medal? It ain't because of the medal. It's because of all the hell they went through to get there and all the failures they went through to get there. See, in other words, you've got to be able to pick yourself up and continue after you have failed or fallen short or had a major setback. And boy, that's it, getting through our failures. So it's true. No man or woman, not in this room, not in the world, achieved anything great without having setbacks on that journey. You need to encourage yourself. You're not the only person that had a divorce. You're not the only person that had a, 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 an unwanted pregnancy. You're not the only person that had an addiction to uh, substance abuse of some kind. You're not the only one that's been abused. In fact, we're not going to, but if we had everybody stand, I imagine 80% of the church would stand up who have suffered, but some people move on, some people just squat, sit down, go in a fetal position, and just quit exactly what the enemy wants. I know three things about failure. Number one, we all fail. Everybody. That's not a person in this room that has not failed at some time. And there's not a person in this room that hasn't encountered incredible problems, setbacks, or tragedy. Second, the more you attempt, the greater potential there is for failure. The higher the risk, the greater the potential for the possibility of failure. The more you try, the more you expose yourself to life, then the more probability there is for some setbacks. But I like this statement, the man who never made a mistake never made anything. The key is learning from your mistake. 
Thomas J. Watson, founder of IBM, said, quote, the way to succeed is double your failure rate. Do you know that now in many of the Harvard and Yale business schools, they teach that exactly? Hurry your failure rate so you can find out what you're good at. And don't take a long time to get there. Get on it real quick, quick as you can. That's not a bad advice. That's not glorifying failure because life's not fun when you go through failure. But I'm saying the more you try, the more there is potential to fail. There's a relationship between attempts and failure. So stay in the ball game and don't quit. And the third thing I know about failures, all failures can be placed in one of two categories. Number one, those who thought but never did. And number two, those who did and never thought. You should think a little bit because actions or choices have consequences. So it's not the failure that's designed to defeat us. It's how we react, respond, or think about the failure and whether or not we can learn from it. Then all of a sudden we say, hey, I see what I'm doing wrong. Failure can be a tremendous teacher in our lives. So now we go to our story, 2 Kings chapter 6. This is the story of the prophet Elisha. In the Old Testament, you were trained through apprenticeship. Elisha had been trained and been the understudy of the great prophet Elijah. And Elisha now has a double portion of Elijah's spirit. So Elisha starts what is called the school of the prophet. I guess he's going to build a university. It got real large. They needed room to expand. So they went out by a wooded area near the Jordan River, and they started to chop down trees. And one of the boys lost his axe head as he was cutting the trees. It flew off the end of the axe handle into the Jordan River. So I pick it up in verse 1, 2 Kings 6. The company of the prophets said to Elisha, look, the place where we're meeting is too small for us. Let's go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole or chop down a part of a tree. Let us build a place for us to meet. And the prophet said, go. Then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied, and he went with them. They went to the Jordan and started cutting down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh, no, my Lord, he cried out, and it was borrowed. The man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick, threw it in, and made the iron to float. That'll get your attention. Lift it out, Elisha said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. So let me give you real simple, quick, five principles to turn your setback into success. This is so simple, and yet everybody stumbles over it. Number one, the most important one of all, admit you have a problem. Could you just get that far to admit you have a problem? If you're ever going to see your problem, whatever it may be, or your setback, or your tragedy turned into success, you first have to acknowledge you have a problem. Here's a failure formula. People fail in direct proportion to their willingness to accept excuses for their failure. You've been married five times, you are the problem. You've been a member of 12 churches in San Antonio, you are the problem not the church. You ain't Jesus. You ain't walking on the water, and you don't glow in the dark. 
but you are a major problem. You've been fired from four jobs. As my grandfather said, if four people call you a jackass, buy a saddle, because you are. You first have to acknowledge the painful reality you got a problem, whether it's substance abuse or alcohol or anger, whatever it may be, you've got to acknowledge it. Ben Franklin said, he that's good at making excuses is seldom good at anything else. How good are you? George Washington Carver said, 99% of failures come from people who have the habit of making excuses within their life. You want to hear a good definition of frustration? I love this. Frustration is not having anybody to blame but yourself. Somebody told me a story a year ago, I don't know if I can remember it, a guy marooned on a desert island. When they finally, get, there's a ship that finally comes by to rescue him and they, he notices there's three buildings. And the guy that's rescuing the man on the island said, uh, what's that, what are those three buildings? He says, well, that first one there, that's my house. The second one is my old church. And the third one, that's, that's my new church. <laughs> I mean, the guy's all by himself. What do you mean, an old church, new church? He's the only guy on the island. Well, it's true. Frustration. Boy, that's disgusting, but it's true. Second, if you're going to turn a setback into some kind of success, go back to the place the problem started. Go back to the place the problem started. Verse 6, and the man of God asked, where did the axe head fall? And he took him and showed him the place. So the young man took the prophet back to the place the problem occurred. So one of the things you have to do if you're going to see a turnaround, you got to go back to turn your tragedy into triumph. Go back to the place the problem started and take a close look at that place. It's sometimes a painful process. It's not easy to go back where your problem began, but you've got to. And even as I'm speaking to you, you can at least go back mentally to a tragedy or a setback that occurred and that you've never gotten over. Your problem did not start the day you were born. Something has happened and you've allowed something to affect you. And there are two places basically almost, almost every problem begins in someone's life. The first one is wrong priorities. A lot, everything's not equally important. And a lot of times we get so busy, we put non-important things over those things that are most important. And our family, our children, our relationships, our own personal health can suffer. So a lot of problems begin when priorities get out of whack. You know, Jesus said, seek first. That's priority. He's talking to a believer. If you're not a believer, you get a free pass. You can mess up your life any way you want to. But if you're a believer... He says, you put me first. You, you come under my government, my authority, my word, and I won't lead you astray. And I'll add everything else to you. Priority. You don't put God last because now you're immersed in a job that's taking you away from home, taking you away from kids, making you a lot of money, but taking you away from God. That's stupid. Your soul, what are you going to buy it back with? What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and then lose his soul? It's not worth it. So God says, it's something we always have to work on. I don't think you get it right once and it's good forever. I think it's something you have to tweak and adjust periodically as you go through life. And then when you get married, priorities shift. When you have children, Lord Jesus, priorities shift. And then if you have grandchildren, it's constantly in flux. 
But you've got to keep that thing. We talk about faith and family and fun. That's true. So my relationship with God is first. Second, my family. And third, my career, my calling, or whatever else I plan to do. And you keep it in that kind of a category. You're not going to get far off track in life. But you can look at people that are all screwed up. They, we saw, you know, we've met people, sometimes we'll run into them at a restaurant or a mall and hadn't seen them in six months. And they're saying, yeah, we, we, we've been thinking about coming back to church. <laughs> well, keep thinking, Sparky. <laughs> keep thinking. And one day you'll live with the regret of your life. So the place we lose it many times is wrong priorities. Or some people get involved in the Martha syndrome. Remember Martha and Mary? Martha's the one always cooking. Martha was cooking meals Jesus had not requested. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are so busy. Sit down and chill. You know, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm sure that if it were in the English culture of today, that's how he'd have said it. Yeah, some people are overcommitted to the work of God and uncommitted to the God of the work. There are preachers so committed to their church or to ministry, they lose their marriage or they lose their church. It happens all the time. They get involved in an affair. I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just saying what happened was a wrong priority. You know, I ain't, I ain't taking you home with me. I'm taking her home with me. And I'm not marrying you. Jesus is marrying you. I'm a... You're the bride of Christ. He's marrying you, not me. And a lot of preachers get those priorities wrong. The kids hate God and hate you because you neglected them. You put God in front of everything. That's not spiritual. That's stupid. When God calls you to be a father, a husband, a minister, or a roofer, whatever he calls you to be, duties don't conflict. God didn't say, well, now you're allowed because you're going to go in the ministry to screw up your marriage and screw up your children and screw up your life. So a lot of guys lose their health. They lose their marriage. They lose everything. Wrong priorities. So it's important, but it's not most important. So nothing's going to separate me from God. And then number two, nothing's going to separate me from my family. And number three, anything else can kind of fit in there. But if it comes to push and shove, my priorities help me. Those values help me. And by the way, for Father's Day, I'm going to talk about imparting values to your children. The last thing your kids want is to hear your music wear your clothes, adopt your style, or follow your methods. And they don't have to, and they never have done it anyway. What you want is them to carry value, scriptural values that will keep them equipped for life. And that's what we're going to talk about. If I can impart that to my kids, they're going to be fine. But they don't have to like what I like, and they don't have to do it like we do it. And the next generation that takes over Summit doesn't have to do it like we do it. They can do it completely different. When God chose uh, Joseph, he chose Joshua to lead Israel after Moses was dead, God told him specifically, Moses, my servant, is dead. He left the building. He's not coming back. Now, I, as I was with Moses, so will I be with you but I'm going to lead you in a way you have not been. So don't make every new leader adopt the old style that you had. And for God's sake, if you move to another city, don't compare that church to this one and impose the way we do something on a new place that God sent you. You're a wreck looking to happen. Don't do that. That's not fair to anybody. And if you got remarried, don't compare your new wife to your mother or your ex-wife, or it'll be wife number two. 
in divorce court. It's just called wisdom, folks. I don't know how smart you have to be to figure this out. I'm not sure you even have to be a Christian to figure most of this out. Just a casual observance would help a lot of people. So when you attempt to work for God and you don't spend any time with Him on a personal basis, you get spiritually dry, your tank's empty, and you're in trouble. And then the other place is the place of wrong attitudes. Here's what I found about tragedy and setback. What really undermines us is not the problem, it's how we respond to the problem. Hebrews 12, verse 15 says, looking diligently, lest anybody fall short of the grace of God, lest a root of bitterness springs up causing trouble, and many are defiled by it. Take a look at the picture on the screen, just a simple picture of a tree, and under the tree, the root of bitterness. And then look at the fruit it produces, slander, malice, anger, uncleanness, all kinds of… Now we usually go after the fruit. Let's get rid of that habit you've got. Let's get rid of this uh, bad attitude. That's not where you go. You go to the root. You kill that root, everything on that tree will die. So if you'll go to the root of the problem that's facing you, you will then kill all the bad fruit. That's uh, every person that works in gardening knows that. So a wrong attitude lives way down deep out of sight inside all of us. It's like the root under the ground, the part you can't see. And a wrong attitude keeps us from being very effective in life and certainly for God. And the reason is the sucker keeps springing up. It keeps coming back. And the very moment you don't want that bad attitude to pop out, boop, there it is. It pops right back out. It's triggered. And we say, oh, I didn't mean to say that. But can you see the problem was a root of bitterness, unhealed, unconfessed, deep down inside. Anger, jealousy, frustration, hurt. There was an attitude problem within you. And the good news is you're not born with a bad attitude or a good attitude. You choose your attitude, good or bad. It's not what happens to me as much as what happens in me. What, you know, attitudes are infectious. I hope yours is worth catching. Hello. They ruin the atmosphere of an office. They can ruin the atmosphere of a team. Even in secular sports, you get one player with a bad attitude, it just ruins everything. Now, God didn't call you to be a grouch. God doesn't have any offices called grouch, hard to get along with. You can change. The great news is all of us can change. It's called transformation. Then number three, third principle, apply the cross of Christ to the place of your failure, your hurt, your setback, your tragedy. When you go back where the problem started, when you go back to find the axe head, apply the cross of Christ to the situation. Verse 6, so he cut off a stick and threw it there where he lost the axe head. He put the wood on the place of the problem. Now that has uh, typology application here. Only two times that happened in the Old Testament. Right here in our verse today, in 2 Kings 6, and Exodus 15, verse 25, where Moses threw a tree into the bitter waters of Marah so Israel could drink, because when he threw the tree into the bitter waters, it made them sweet. 
wood was applied to the spot of the problem. And that wood or tree was a symbol of the cross of Jesus Christ, who was nailed on a tree for our transgressions. So let the cross of Jesus Christ be applied to your greatest tragedy and setback in your life. He can make the bitter place sweet. There can be healing and strength, recovery, restoration, and peace. And that is a fact, folks. The only reason some of us have a marriage today is because that wood of Christ Jesus has been applied to that marriage. If it weren't for Jesus, I can tell you right now, a whole lot of us wouldn't be sitting here with our spouses. And some of you aren't, so you need to listen up and apply that cross to that bitter place. I was thinking about how people respond to tragedy. They draw back, they get angry, they're mad at God, they quit God, they quit life, they quit their dream, and they just curl in a fetal position and quit. But other people go right through tragedy and setback and become productive, healthy, happy people. I was thinking of Percy and Danielle Kimbrell last night in our service. The sad part of parents having to bury their child. It's not supposed to work that way, is it? Kids are supposed to bury the, the parents. And some of them are about to kill us, and we almost wish we were, but they had to bury a daughter who had a long battle. We fought a good fight with cancer, and it wasn't healed, and she went on to be with Jesus. Beautiful girl, flight attendant from, from Houston, Tory. And I'm just thinking about that could devastate people. They drop out of church, some have, who have gone through similar tragedies. Percy and Danielle, loaded with the Word of God, serving other people. That's a real key, giving, giving, giving. They receive. We're comforted by God, comforted by friends. And that power of Jesus' grace heal that heart. You wouldn't know they ever had a problem because the wood of that cross has been applied to that pain, and God heals the brokenhearted. God makes it well. Some of you need a good healing in there or forgiveness. Uh, I was thinking of Nicola Hood, whose brother was shot in the head and killed in his driveway by carjackers. And a, a tough, young, rebellious young man, angry, wanted to fight everybody, came to, to, to know Jesus, and Jesus, over a period of time, softened the heart, brought healing to the heart. He forgave. One of the killers was executed, one's serving life right now and was able to forgive, not justify the evil, but to forgive them, and doesn't live with any root of bitterness so that his life has gone on to be now a married man with children, a husband, a father, a public servant, and a great soul winner in our church. What's the difference in those people? They applied that cross of Jesus to their place of tragedy, failure, or setback. You know, folks, he's a God of a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. However bad it is, you cannot exhaust the grace of God, and that's good to know. Some of you think so, but you cannot. It's scandalous. It is so good. And most Christians think grace is too good until they need it. Then you'll be glad it's there. I'm not suggesting that we do things wrong so we can apply the grace of God. That, that's wrong attitude. But thank God it's there when we fail for all of us. How are you doing on your setback? How are you doing on your tragedy? Whether it's a divorce or a bankruptcy or the loss of a job, whatever it may be, you haven't lost Jesus. As long as He backs you up. Here's what He told Abraham, I don't want you to take anything from that pagan king who wants to give you wealth. 
I will be your exceeding great reward. Think about that. Now, you got a choice. You want Bill Gates to be your reward or you want God to be your reward? I, that's an easy choice for me to make. So as long as God's alive and breathing, I'm, I'm unstoppable in His sight, in His kingdom. No weapon formed against me can prosper. Oh, sure, it can hurt, can delay, can't stop my purpose. That leaves you with a pretty, well, somebody did you wrong. Somebody got you fired. Somebody uh, stole your money in, in some kind of a deal or something. People invested in Ponzi schemes and lost a lot of money or whatever. You didn't lose God. Well, the easiest thing to get back is money, but not relationships or your life or your health. So some of you just need a good old-fashioned case of God's mercy and God's forgiveness. Forgive the person who did this to you, and it isn't for them, it's for you. Let that ex-husband go. Let that sucker flush him. Let it go. Let it go. Let him go. Move on. God's got something better for you. But if you don't get that scowl and that, that sharp edge off of you, 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 and nobody won't snuggle up to you. You're going to be abrasive. You need to forgive and forget. And yeah, it hurt. No question. Have your tears. Have a little bit of sorrow. God's compassionate. God cares. God sees your tears. But for crying out loud, get over it. God only let Israel mourn 30 days for Moses. Then he says, now take off the black clothes and let's move on. So even God gave you a season to mourn, but not forever. And every time people are out and make new friends, we don't want to hear about your ex-husband. I want to hear what you got planned next. Now you ought to walk up with a new skirt, a new dress, a new hairstyle, and whoa, look at you. And she should say, yeah, that's what I'm hoping. Some people are going to be looking at me. God's got something for you. I may be a little bit... Uh, non-religious with my statement, but the spirit is still true. Some dude dumps me. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm on the, I, there's plenty of fish in the sea. You, got, you might have to swim somewhere else to get the fish, but I'm, I'm going where the fish is. I'm going to get in way deep here, and I'm not, not going to be able to get out. I'm talking about applying that cross, that, that, that wood bringing Jesus into your pain. Two things the blood of Jesus does for a situation. Number one, gives you forgiveness. My goodness, how great that is. Salvation, eternal life. When you come to Jesus, the blood is applied to your life. Your name's written in heaven, and God says, I will remember your sin no more, period. No record of it. He won't ever bring it back up. I hear people say, oh, wait till you get to heaven. We're going to see the video play of your life. You ain't going to see squat on my life. The blood of Jesus has cleansed, covered, and put it as far as the east is from the west. If you're an unbeliever, yeah, we'll see your video. Can't wait. But if you're a believer, there will be no video, no memory. God says, I cannot even remember it. I have no recollection of it. So if God has forgiven it, you need to forget it. And you need to say, now, what do you have for me? Because when you release the toxicity of hatred and unforgiveness and bitterness, you just poisoned yourself. And the other person, they're going on having a good time, don't even know and care what you're going through. So this is something you do for yourself. Forgive. It's not an emotion. It's a choice. Jesus on the cross, what if He just said, I'll get you when I come back? He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It was a choice. It wasn't a feeling. That's how much He loves you. 
And so when God offers you forgiveness, no matter how bad the problem was, you take it. You reach out and you take it, just like this guy was advised to do. And second, the blood of Jesus continues to activate my relationship with Jesus. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Never run away from God. Run to God with the nastiest problem you've got, whatever it is. God's always ready to forgive us, but many times we're unwilling to forgive ourselves for the tragedies of our life. And some people have gone through some pretty horrific actions that they're ashamed of. And I've had on multiple occasions to have to go back and go an elementary course in forgiveness to tell you that I promise you that has been forgiven. It will never be brought up against you again, not by God in heaven, never. Now you need to get it out of your mind. Don't let your past failure define who you are. Let God define who you are. You are a new creation in Christ, never been anything like you. That old man has been crucified with Christ, doesn't exist anymore in God's sight. So you're a brand new person. You've got a future and a hope. Now would you get up and start living it and move beyond? that. And if somebody were to bring that up, you can say, yeah, that was the old me. That's for sure. But that's, that's who I was. That's not who I am. I'm a new person. And so, you know, in the political rally, people want to bring up, I remember when Nico was running the, you know, the opposition wants to bring up something you did 22 years ago as a single person in rebellion, as a non-believer, but not who you are today. And he says, yeah, that was true of me then. That's not who I am now. Now, I'm a husband, I'm a father, uh, I'm a public servant, I, I'm a dedicated, devout Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. So don't let anybody intimidate you with your past. Don't you, don't you cow down. Don't live up to your past, for God's sake. You don't want to carry that image. Yeah, you'll never be anything, you never were anything. I told you, here we go. I'm not going to let my parents curse or an ex-mate's curse define who I'm going to be. God says, you are the righteousness of God. You're the apple of my eye. You are my beloved. I, I, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I, my mind's already a computer of what he said about me. So the enemy comes to accuse you, to de- cause you to lose heart, cause you to give up. Say, you're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. Well, God says, not a chance that's going to happen. Number four. Expect a miracle from God. When you put the wood on the place of your tragedy or your failure, you expect God to do a miracle in your life. Verse 6, and he made the iron to float. You know, it's kind of interesting. Abraham was called the friend of God. Jacob was called prince with God. Moses spoke face to face with God. David was a man after God's own heart. And all these great heroes of the Bible I just read had two things in common. Number one, they were all greatly used by God. And number two, all of them failed God desperately. All of them fell short of God's expectation. David murdered, covered it up, and committed adultery. Moses killed an Egyptian. Abraham had to save his own life. Can you, Abraham said to a pagan king, oh, she's just my sister. You can have her to save his own life. You can get his CDs on home and family out in the lobby. (laughs) I, I, I hear guys preach this stuff sometimes and I say, do you realize what womanizers these guys were and what horrible husbands they were? and what detestable things they did. And it's amazing, you know, a few thousand years into the future, and we forget. And we put them up on windows in the churches. 
I'd rather put a picture of my mother-in-law on the dash, not these guys. These are broken, fallen people just like you. But listen, here's the difference. Why are they remembered as great men? It wasn't their failure. It wasn't their tragedy. It was their personal responsibility for their failure. They all chose to repent, take full responsibility. David backed up and said, I am the man. He didn't say Bathsheba was been hitting on me and I'm under a lot of stress. I mean, what could I do? The demands of my kingdom. And she just bathes right down there. Hand me the binoculars, eunuch. I mean, these are real life stories. I like to, it's raw, it's real, it's very relevant. Don't sterilize this stuff. This is erotic. It's also deplorable, despicable, incest, rape. Everything occurs in the families of these people. And yet, all of them took responsibility, humbled themselves, repented, and God used them. Now, guess what? That ought to include anybody in here. That's good. That gives hope to everybody in this room. God can use anybody, but not if you won't take responsibility, not if you can't humble yourself. And five, last one, reach out and pick up the power. Therefore, he said, verse 7, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and he took it. Take that miracle and do something with it. The question is not, have I failed? The question is, will I choose to continue to fail? Will I wallow in my failure? Or will I reach out and apply the grace of God and take it? The power of God to transform me, to heal me, to change me. Will I take it? God says, whosoever will may come. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He won't do it for you, but he gives you a free invitation. It's your free will. You get to choose. So the Christian life is not a problem-free life. It's a victorious life in spite of the problems. The Christian life is a life where you can have victory over your problems. In this world, you shall have tribulation. Ain't that the truth? But be of good cheer. You don't have to take Prozac. I've overcome the world. And so nothing should be able to overcome you. In 1902, the Atlantic Monthly's poetry editor returned a batch of poems to a 28-year-old poet with this note. Our magazine has no room for your poetry, and Robert Frost was rejected. In 1905, the University of Bjorn, a Ph.D. applicant, flunked his dissertation when his mentor wrote these words, quote, your dissertation is not relevant, and Albert Einstein flunked. In 1894, an English teacher in Harrow, England, wrote on a 16-year-old's report card, your conspicuous lack of success. The kid, Winston Churchill. The opening day of the 1954 baseball season, the Cincinnati Reds played the Milwaukee Braves. Jim Greengrass was four for four that day as a rookie. All four trips to the plate, he hit a double every time. Sports journalists and headlines raved about this great rookie. And none of you have ever heard his name. There was another rookie on the Braves team, the same team. He was 0 for 5 that day, five times to the plate, no hits. He was Hank Aaron, greatest home runner hitter ever. Jim Elliott, 
back in about 1952, was killed by the savage spears of the Aka Indians of Ecuador. His wife, Elizabeth Elliot, could have been filled with bitterness, sorrow, and hatred. She took her young daughter, went back to the same jungle, and took the gospel of Jesus Christ to the same Indians that killed her husbands and friends and converted the whole tribe. You can buy her books and read her story. But she saw those same Indians gloriously saved and brought into the kingdom of God. So it's not the tragedy that's the tragedy. It's how people respond to it. And some of you are just amazing. When you tell people what you've been through, they look at you and said, well, I just would never have thought that. I just can't believe that. Well, that's the power of God. That's the power of the cross. You know, you're not going to get that testimony out of bitterness and hatred and drugs and getting drunk. Go back to the place of your failure, your tragedy, your setback. What can you learn from it? What is it you need to learn from it? What is it that you say, I'm not ever going to do that again? Anybody been married over 20 years or 40 years? There are plenty of things you and I could sit down over coffee and say, won't ever do that again. Won't ever do that again. Won't ever say that again. Sat on that hot stove once, that's enough for me. I don't want to be sleeping single in a double bed. How about you? No. So you, you get some wisdom, or you're going you're gonna to get, uh, get something you wish you never had. And then after you get to this place, apply the cross of Christ to it. Learn from it. Turn that setback into success. Turn that tragedy into triumph. Or put your head down, suck your thumb, just say life is bitter, walk away lonely, sad, and empty. Leave church, leave God, leave your dream, and the choice is all yours. For more information on Rick Godwin and product available, visit SummitSA.com and click on Bookstore.